0: Welcome to Pet Will Radio, a unique show about amazing animals and inspirational people with your host, author, animal advocate, and attorney,
1: Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Pet Will Radio. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt & Bryan, MyPetWill.com, and petfriendly.love. I'm your host Peggy Hoyt. It's my pleasure to be with you today and today we have as our special guest Carol Borden. She is the founder and CEO of Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs. Welcome to the show Carol. Thank you Peggy. Thank you for having me today. You are so welcome. Um, I'm very excited to learn everything there is to know about Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs. And um, before we dig into that, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Well, I have uh, been interested in dogs and animals my entire life. We kind of have a joke that I was saying doggy before I said daddy, and uh, my life has taken me in directions uh, from very early on when I actually started working with dogs and and entitled my first dog when I was 10 and been working with dogs ever since. I I did other things as well, like uh, manage big box stores. Little did I know life was grooming me the entire time for where I am today with our nonprofit organization.
1: Okay, so it is interesting how the universe conspires to give us the training and the talents that we need in order to get to uh, where we need to be, um, especially when we're really passionate about something.
0: Absolutely. I feel so blessed. I mean, I didn't know at the time, but it all became very apparent to me. I was doing some obedience classes on the side Uh, because it's always been an interest of mine, done quite a bit with that. And I started having people come to me with various minor disabilities. Even though they were coming to me for obedience training, I could help them with those couple of little extra things, like teaching the dog to pick up something for them or a scent detection skill, different things. I had no idea where that was leading to until I had a young man come to me was a quadriplegic. He had been uh, severely injured. His whole life changed in one tackle gone bad at his homecoming game. And so I trained a full mobility dog for him and saw how it dramatically impacted his life. And I said, wow, I should look into service dogs and see what kind of need there is out there for it. And I'll tell you, I was overwhelmed by
1: what I found. So I understand where you're coming from on the overwhelmed part of service dogs. I have fortunately had the opportunity to be a puppy raiser a couple of times uh, for service dog organizations. Um, And I've heard that same thing that you're saying is that there just are not enough service dogs to go around.
0: It's very true. It's a very expensive venture. Some people think that it's just a couple of obedience classes for a dog, but in actuality, it's a very, very in-depth, not only for the dog, but for the recipient as well, uh, because we're talking about life-changing, life-saving skills that these dogs are taught to perform. You know, there's a great deal of confusion today about what a service dog is. And people get them confused all the time with emotional support dogs, companion animals, et cetera, et cetera. And you hear it in the media constantly. But in actuality, service dogs are the only sector of dogs that are federally protected. It's simple to remember it this way. A service dog must be trained to do tasks that actually mitigate the challenges of someone's disability. So
1: they're very much like a piece of medical equipment. They just happen to have a heartbeat. That is a very good explanation. I I like that a lot. Um, So in terms of the service dogs that you're training today, um, tell us a little bit about who you're training dogs for and what kind of dogs you're using for that. Purpose? Sure.
0: Predominantly, we train dogs for all combat wounded warriors, Uh, our veterans that come back with various injuries, anywhere from PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, traumatic limb losses, uh, and the list goes on and on. We do some first responders and a few civilians as well, but the vast majority is uh, catering to our veterans. And the skills that we teach our dogs are varied. We individually custom train each dog based on the needs of the person that it's going to go to. And so we can train things such as uh, picking up dropped items that I mentioned. We can teach them to open and close doors, turn on and off lights, bring you food and water from the refrigerator, uh, hit a 911 button if you're incapacitated or unconscious. They know to go and do it without being told. Um, we do sin discrimination skills. So if uh, someone has a seizure disorder, diabetic disorder, anything else that is chemically triggered, we teach the dogs to alert in advance to those issues because there's a chemical change taking place in that individual's body before they have the secondary um, Problem with it, it causes them to have issues. For example, someone with a seizure disorder doesn't always have auras ahead of time, and therefore, when they have a seizure, they've not put themselves in, had the warning to put themselves in a safe position, and they may have a catastrophic consequence hitting their head, stitches, broken bones, knocking out teeth. It's very terrifying. Uh, for a person to try to function alone in the world or go places like normal individuals would if they don't ever know when some of these different disabilities are going to rear some of these effects that they have on them in public.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, So what is the process um, Carol, for training a dog to meet all of these particular needs. Um, you know, how old are the dogs when you start with them and and what does that process look like?
0: Well, we actually have two programs. Uh, we have one program where we breed dogs, and that way we can specifically work with the genetics that we know are best going to contribute towards being a service dog. because this isn't something every dog can do. It's kind of like people, Um, It's like being a rocket scientist in the human world. It's like being a rocket scientist for a service dog in the dog world. So not all dogs are are capable. Along with our breeding program, we do also rescue dogs. uh, And that's quite different because we rescue dogs that are older. Uh, We don't pick puppies because puppies are very cute and very adoptable. And also there are some personality traits that can be inherited And we don't know what those are yet because all eight week old puppies are cute. Of course. Right. So if we're rescuing dogs, we're looking at dogs that are actually less adoptable and 10 months to two years in that age range. So we will immediately test them, make sure they don't have any quirks that they look like they would have um, all the right stuff, if you will, for our program. And then we bring them back and put them in training. If it's a puppy Uh, that we're starting with in our litters, we actually start at a very young age. We have a very sophisticated training program that is broken down into life stages. And what that means is at every developmental age, a puppy has the capacity to only learn so much and for so much of a time period, just like a child. And so we have them broken up by life stages. And each life stage, whether it's a rescue dog which would be in a little bit older life stage or one of our younger life stages, they go through a series of desensitization, socialization, um, learning their basic commands, uh, learning to be people-friendly through socialization and and animal-friendly through socialization, a lot of different steps other than just the training. Of course, we do get to that. And then they do have to learn all of their basics. And then the final stage of training after they go through their foster homes is the final stage of training is their advanced skill work. And that's where they really learn to be service dogs uh, and have those very special skills that uh,
1: not only change lives but can save lives. And so if you're doing rescue dogs, then i would assume and i could be wrong but i would assume then it could be potentially any breed as long as they have the proper temperament
0: yes it is uh, about the individual dog more so than the breed although for our breeding program we do specialize in german shepherds they love having a job they've got a great work ethic they for generations, of course, we're produced to, to be intelligent and, and do all those things. So they work out very well for us. But again, it does boil down to that individual animal. So again, when we go to shelters and we take rescues, we are looking for German shepherds because very few people are interested in adopting an adult German shepherd. They don't know what the background is like and how to read a dog like we do. So that would be the first thing we look at. But yes, other breeds would... Um, be eligible for us to evaluate as well. What we won't look at are small dogs. And no, no offense to small dogs. are very lovable, and, and they certainly have their place in life. But um, great example, I had someone ask me one time at one of my presentations, why couldn't my Yorkie be a service dog? I said, when you show me a Yorkie that can open and close doors, we'll talk. Okay. So, well, certainly um, there are small breeds that can do some of the olfactory skills, which is the sense of smell, the physical skills they would not be capable of. And that would include one of the things that we teach across the board, all of our dogs are taught a very uh, non-aggressive body block called a shielding exercise. A lot of people with disabilities have high anxiety issues and they don't like being surprised by strangers. They don't like people coming into their personal space. So the dog learns to just very simply walk out in front of the person if there's an approaching stranger or sit behind the person in a grocery store line, anything like that. Again, it's very non-aggressive, but it puts a body block in between that stranger and the recipient. But
1: if you had a real tiny dog no one would see it. In fact, he actually would risk that dog being stepped on. Okay, well, that makes sense. I've also heard of um, dogs that have the uh, the training ability to go into a home and basically clear the home before they let the, um, the individual with the disability know that it's safe to enter. They can do
0: that. Um, very simple. Uh, if you learn to read your dog, which is what we teach, the dog's going to already know if someone is in there that doesn't belong there. The dog is going to immediately be on alert um, because they can smell that there is a difference in, in who has been there. I mean, think about tracking dogs that can track hours and hours later through all kinds of terrain and, and follow a particular scent. So certainly it um, is a very simple skill for the dog to know if someone is in that home or not. And and we teach that recipient how to read their dog and know by the dog's, uh, body language, if it is clear, if it's safe, if they're comfortable or if they need to be on alert for something.
1: Okay. Well, I'm just, I'm so impressed with what you're doing. And I happen to be a huge German shepherd lover. So, um, my, my very first dog w- that was my own dog was a German shepherd mix. And I've always had a German shepherd mix ever since. So, um, huh. Definitely love those dogs. Um, tell us a little bit, Carol, about your um, PETS program. Well, the PETS
0: program is specially designed for people who already have their own dog, and is showing tendencies at home to alerting to some of their issues and, and helping them without the training, because the training obviously is still extremely important, but they're just giving cues that they might work out for that individual. So if so, we have a six-month program, and they can enter their dog in the pets program, and we will go through uh, three different stages of that program with our trainers to be sure that this dog, again, has all the right characteristics. Of course, he has to be large enough to do the job. Uh, He has to be friendly enough and non-aggressive because these dogs can never be overly protective. Plus, there's a lot of dogs that are not comfortable being in public, and they become frightened and shy if they haven't uh, got what we call the correct nerve base. So there are different things that we're looking for that we will help work them through and uh, see if they pass each of the courses. Then, of course, the final element is their advanced skill. Uh, Because remember, public access is a big piece of what they go through on training, to be sure that they are comfortable because they still have to perform their alerts and their functions, regardless of what the circumstances are, not just at home where they're
1: comfortable. Right. Absolutely. So right now I'm in possession of a dog that, um, one of my clients purchased as a service dog wannabe. Um, and Mm -hmm. at age 11 months was assured that this dog had 1100 hours of foundational training, which Um, you probably know that it would be impossible to provide (laughs) 1,100 hours of training to an 11-month-old dog. Um, Yeah, they don't have much capacity for that at the younger months. Well, and unfortunately, my poor client did not understand that. Um, She was so desperate to have a service dog or a dog that could um, fulfill those needs, and she wasn't able to get on a waiting list somewhere for um, a service dog. So she purchased this dog online, unfortunately, and what she got was a very um, ADHD, anxiety-ridden Beautiful dog, but does not have a service dog bone in her body. Um, oh, that's awful. Yeah. And um, as a result, my client, who's a quadriplegic and in a wheelchair, could not keep this oh, dog. Oh, no. And um, wasn't able to return the dog for the purchase price. They were only willing to give a a very small fraction of the purchase price back or willing to do that. Um, So wouldn't even stand behind the training on the dog. And um, it was clear that she had been traumatized already too many times in her life. So we ultimately made the decision not to return her um, to the breeder. And... um, Instead, she's now my office dog. So.
0: <laughs>
1: well,
0: and, at and least she, she found <laughs> a good home. But it's a terrible thing that, that they would take advantage of one of the most vulnerable sectors of our society. You know, one of the things that we do, we not only individually train this dog. At the same time, we're working with the dogs. We're also working with the recipients. They're going through a series of orientations with us. They're going through uh, different questions and answers with our recipient relations department. And then finally, when we have their dog ready, we fly them in from wherever they are in the United States. They come to our campus, and they spend the next 10 days here working one-on-one with our trainers. And at the end of that session, and once they go home, we're not saying bye-see-ya. We are continuing to follow up with them daily in the beginning, and at the very least later on in life, We continue that follow-up quarterly for the life of the team. So if there is ever an issue, a training issue, because dogs can get untrained. We do all the training we can with the recipients, but uh, they can untrain them if they don't follow our processes. And so we go do a little brush-up and refresher courses. We have traveling trainers that go out and visit with them.
1: That's awesome. And and is that why you organized as a um, not-for-profit organization, Carol, so that you could um, have others that could contribute to this cause and thereby defray the expenses of these um, individuals who need these dogs so desperately?
0: Absolutely. Um, As a nonprofit, we are always looking for individual donations, corporate sponsorships. Uh, We have sponsorships where uh, either individuals or companies can sponsor a team, and they get to name the dog, and they get quarterly updates, also pictures and stories about how the training's coming along, right up until the dogs are actually paired. And uh, so then they get a final picture. Then, so we have fundraisers, we write for grants. I mean, we are a hundred percent nonprofit, and. What that means is it costs us about $25,000 to take one of these dogs from start to finish and all the other things we do to bring in that recipient and keep up with them ongoing. Uh, And
1: we donate those dogs. We don't ask for them to pay dime to us for any of our services. Wow, that's fabulous. Um, So you do have a heart of gold and obviously a gift for training dogs. And I noticed that you have won some outstanding awards for um, your work in this area, including the 2014 Stephen R. Wise Advocacy Award from the Florida Rehabilitation Council. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, they specifically work statewide with people with disabilities, and we were recognized as a Florida organization that was specifically reaching out to so many folks in Florida with disabilities.
1: So I didn't realize that you were in Florida until um, I was preparing for our chat today. Um, I happen to know Stephen Wise. Do you know Stephen as well? No, I haven't actually met him. Okay, um, so uh, he, as you probably know, he's an, a lawyer and an animal advocate and uh, a professor mm-hmm. of animal law, and um, I had the opportunity to teach animal law for two semesters um, here in the Orlando area, and um, probably my listeners get tired of hearing this, but I was raised in the animal advocacy world. My dad was the president and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States. Um, awesome. Awesome. So, I uh, kind of like you, I think I asked for a horse before I asked for anything else <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I can relate to that <laughs> prior to age one, you know, what do you want for Christmas horse, <laughs> you know, um, uh, <laughs> So, yes, I I may have said dog before daddy as well. And uh, I like to always jokingly say that I invented PetSmart when I was 10 years old when I suggested to my dad that wouldn't it be great to have a uh, store that just sold stuff for pets and we could bring in all the rescue dogs and cats instead of selling um, pets. So um oh my God, of course that was getting royalties or something. <laughs> I know that was a million years ago too and my dad just you know patted me on the head like you do with a small child that you think their idea is uh kind of whimsical. Um so of course that never happened. And uh I also see that you were selected as one of six nominees for the Joe Sanchez Junior Leadership Award. And this sounds really exciting too. One of the top 30 finalists out of more than 4,000 applicants for the National L'Oreal Women of Worth Award. Um, That's really exciting. exciting.
0: It was. I was so surprised when I found out that I was one of the final nominees. That was uh, really amazing. It was quite an honor.
1: So I didn't know you were here in Florida, but you're over, your headquarters are in Williston. Is that right? Correct. Yes, that's right. Okay. Well, um, that's where my mother-in-law used to live. So I was over there pretty regularly and it's a a lovely area to, uh, I'm sure, have your campus and have all of your dogs and the thi- all of the things that are going on there um, with your organization. Um, so if somebody's listening today that might be eligible, they're a, um, a veteran, um, and they might be eligible for a Guardian Angels Medical Service dog, what is that process?
0: Well, the process is not
1: too difficult. Uh,
0: they can either go to our website or they can call our main office. And we will send them out an application packet. We'll even help them fill it out if they need some help with it. And then once we get that back, we go through it to make sure that they do, in fact, have a disability that we can train the dog to help them with. And uh, then once approved, they go on our waiting list. There's a few variables that are involved. And then uh, once they go on our waiting list, then we will shortly thereafter start the Uh, orientations that we do by phone with them, starting to teach them all the things that they will need to know about their service dog, because it's a little different than having a pet. They are different and there's a lot of very special things that we teach them about having a successful working relationship with their dog. And so um, once they've been through all the orientations and once the dog is fully trained and ready to go, then we set them up to come in for one of our pairings, which we do once a month, uh, sometimes a little more, but we try to hold it to once a month. We have several people that come in at that time and we start their pairing process over that 10 days. And you have to keep in mind that many of these people, because of the severity of their disabilities, many have been self isolated for a very long time. They, we have seen people in our organization that have not been out of their own home in 25 years, we've seen people that haven't been out of their own bedroom in six months. So in order to get them in working form to where they can find their what we call new normal, uh, we have to get them out and about again. So we actually start here on the campus walking through different processes of how you would go into a restaurant, how you would deal with confrontation knowing everything you need to know about the law, knowing everything you need to know about getting maneuvering with your service dog through an airport and onto an airplane and TSA and all this. We teach them literally every detail you can think of. And then we start integrating them back into public. We start very simply with a lunch in a restaurant with our trainers and they start learning to focus on their dog and utilizing their dog rather than some of the panic and, and anxiety that can often set in, in a public situation. By the time they leave, most of them are challenging themselves to go in the Walmarts of the world in different places. And once they're back home and they're they're paired and they're working, it's amazing the results that we see. We see people, they go back to school. They they get their degrees. They open businesses. They buy RVs and travel the country making up for lost time. It's absolutely so fulfilling, so heartwarming, heartwarming to see what these people are capable of doing once again.
1: Wow. that That is very heartening to, to hear about a story where somebody might go from being very isolated to now being integrated back into the community. Um how many dogs have you had the pleasure of placing to date, Carol? Um,
0: by the end of this year, we'll have pretty close to 300 pairings that we've done across the country. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, yeah, so we, we stay quite busy. And uh, some of the significance that your listeners might be interested in, if they're not aware, uh, in our veteran community with their disabilities, We see 32 to 39 suicide attempts on a daily basis with 20 to 22 of those ending in death every single day of one of our veterans. And the the divorce rates in families without disabilities runs 40 to 50 percent. And in our families with disabilities, it can run as high as 90 percent. Yet, all the pairings we've done, all the years that we've been doing this, we
1: have never experienced a suicide. And we've had one divorce. Oh, my gosh. That is awesome to hear. So pretty amazing the impact these
0: dogs can make. And people don't realize that children and families of a disabled parent are also growing up with something called intergenerational PTSD. And again, we're breaking that cycle uh, by bringing help to the caregivers because now the dogs are able to do things that even the caregivers aren't able to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, dogs are so amazing um, in so many ways that I can see where they could make a, a marked difference in, in the life of an individual. But certainly those statistics where you haven't had any suicides and only one divorce among your um, pairings, that's that's really an incredible statistic and um, and one that I'm sure you're very, very proud of.
0: Well, we were honored this year to have been selected out of the uh, entire mental health field, not just the service dog field, and we were recognized and uh, brought up to Washington, D.C. to receive what's called the 2018 Vetty Mental Health Award for the work we do with veterans, and that was particularly exciting because we had the chief of staff of the White House, we had the secretary of the VA, there were all kinds of celebrities, dignitaries, everyone there to see us receive that award. And, you know, we we just pray that we will continue to be blessed and, and maintain those statistics. I, I think we would be naive to think they will last forever, but certainly our percentages are so minuscule compared to what they would be like without a service dog. So we're very driven here. Uh, my staff, myself, we're all extremely passionate about the work we do because we see the difference that it makes in the lives of the individuals that we're helping. Uh, We're seeing that there are no more suicides. We're seeing that people are able to go back to a normal life. Um, You know, I I actually just got um, a story from a mom. I told you we we do uh, a few civilians, not a whole lot, but we did recently pair one of the children that was involved in the um, Parkland school shooting. And uh, her, she has not gone back to school since that shooting in February. And now she is preparing to go back to school. She's actually very excited to go back to school with the uh, school starting in August because now she has her dog next to her and she's never alone. The nightmares are stopping. She can sleep all night again. I mean, it's
1: just an amazing
0: impact, not only for her, but the entire family.
1: That Yeah, that's a very incredibly heartwarming story. And um, I uh, I also had the opportunity to work with a service dog. She She was my first puppy in training and she was placed with one of the kids from the Sandy Hook shootings.
0: Oh, excellent. It does make such a difference.
1: So I understand, though, now that you've mentioned that about the Parkland school shooting, um, I understand, though, from parents, because I I work in an industry where we work with a lot of families with special needs, and I understand from parents that they get a lot of pushback from the school system on bringing service dogs to school. Um, Have you experienced that or heard that?
0: We experience a little bit of everything. We get
1: pushback from employers, from
0: merchants, from schools, and we learned to deal with all of it. I was actually very involved, uh, very fortunate, to help with changing the Florida state statutes regarding service dogs uh, that Governor Scott signed off on in 2015, I believe it was. And there are laws that do protect our disabled individuals, Uh, that are working with a service animal, because what people don't understand, and and I think we spend uh, 50% of our time educating, which is very important, uh, is that a service dog is not considered a pet under any description of the law. Uh, It cannot be discriminated against um, by places that don't allow pets or have a pet size or they're breed specific. They don't fall under any of those categories, because as I said at the beginning of the program, they're more like a piece of medical equipment with a heartbeat. And if we can just remember that, and anywhere you could go with a wheelchair, you can go with a service animal, as long as it's a public venue uh, or an employer or a school. Now, there is a thing called an exception, where they ask for an exception, but employers and schools think that that's some really big deal. And what's it going to cost and what do they have to do? You don't have to do anything. It's just a formality that you tell them that you need to utilize the service animal as a medical device and that you are just letting them know. They don't have to rearrange the furniture. They don't have to rearrange the style of their business. They don't have to do anything special. Uh, In fact, we have Uh, One young man that we paired a service dog with, and their school was so welcoming that they had an assembly for all the students in the school. And this young man was so brave, and he walked right up across the auditorium floor, took that microphone, and proceeded to explain to them uh, what a service dog was, and that they could come and say hello, but they couldn't pet his dog all the time, and just to pretend it really wasn't there. And because the dog did great things to help this young man with his mobility challenges, and it was a great educational moment for a whole group of school students. So, whenever our recipients get pushback or challenges, it usually is a lack of education, because people don't get it. They think, "Wow, this is a big dog. It could bite somebody, or somebody might be allergic, or whatever." Well, a a service dog can never. Create any public threat whatsoever, or they would not be allowed to continue working. And B, we do understand that people have allergies, they weren't, uh, they maybe are afraid of dogs, maybe they weren't brought up in a culture that accepted dogs as a way of life. We respect all of that. All we ask in return is that they respect our service team, service dog team that needs this for their medical issues. So there are ways of getting around. Uh, people with allergies or people that don't care for dogs, but not at the expense of discriminating against the disabled team.
1: Sure. And, and I experienced that um, when I was doing the puppy raising with my Sienna. Um, I took her on a flight to Atlanta and, uh, and the airline really didn't seem to know how to deal with her. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. she was a large dog, um, ultimately topping out at about 90 pounds. But um, at the time, she was younger, um, maybe a year old at the time. And they wanted me to force her to lay between the bulkhead and the first class seats and and not be able to, you know, sit next to me, not necessarily, you know, not in a seat, certainly, but even on the floor. They wanted me to cram her into this space behind the uh, first row seats.
0: I, I had a, a flight attendant. Only one time I fly a lot uh, with my dog. And only one time I had someone ask me to do that. And I think it was where the, the uh, life preserver was under the seat in first class. And my dog was as far as he would go. And he's a large dog also. And physically, it was already touching the top of the shoulders. He couldn't go any further. And the flight attendant says, well, you can't get him under there. I'll get him under there. I said, oh, no, you won't. <laughs> no, that, that's not happening today. <laughs> but And so she finally walked off and, and left the saloon because he wasn't bothering anyone. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do. But it's usually, again, people don't understand. They don't know what to do with it. The airlines have become much, much better versed. In fact, a lot of the airline regulations are changing, which is a, a conversation for another day because it gets into a lot of legalese. But um, there have been so many imposters, which is a huge problem out there. You know, people can go online and they think they'll just buy a vest for Fufu so that they can get it on the plane for free, and what a mistake. You know, they're not being fair to their dog. They're not being fair to people that actually have working service animals. I can't tell you how many times our dogs have been attacked by imposter dogs in public. It's terrible. And, and it, it can be psychologically damaging to a service dog for that to happen. And unfortunately, when it happens on the airlines, uh, people sue everybody. And, you know, the airlines have big pockets, even though it, it's not directly their fault. Um, they're the ones that end up getting sued for it as well. So they're changing a lot of their rules and regulations about allowing dogs on planes which is good. We, we're we very supportive of it because if you have a proper working service dog, it's obvious and there is not an issue uh, versus a dog that's at the end of the flexi lead, lead tripping people and growling and barking and snapping at people and scarfing food off the floor. That is not a service animal.
1: Yeah. No, of course not. Um, so for people who may be listening, and, and I just want to do a quick station um, identification here is that um you're listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Pet Will Radio, and we are brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt & Bryan, MyPetWill.com, and PetFriendly.love. Today we are talking to special guest Carol Borden. She is the founder and CEO of Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs, and you can find out more information about her organization at MedicalServiceDogs.org, and Carol, um. I love all of the wonderful things that your organization is doing. And, and I suspect that if people are listening um, and, and they don't have a disability, but they have a love for dogs, that they might be interested in your foster family program. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Absolutely.
0: We love our foster families and what they contribute to the organization and to our future recipients is vital. Um, This is what we call life stage five in our training process. And unlike other organizations that put eight-week-old puppies out there, which actually eight-week-old puppies are a lot of work, (laughs) (laughs) we wait until our dogs have passed what they call the canine good citizen. And so they're very well-behaved. They're very easy to manage. And we let our fosters foster those dogs for eight weeks. And that way nobody gets so attached that it breaks everybody's heart. In fact, not only that, when you do bring the dog back after the eight weeks, we hand you another one if you are willing to take on another one so there's no void. And during that eight weeks, since in the state of Florida, service dogs in training have all the same rights as a full-fledged service dog, we ask them to take the dog everywhere they go. Not only are they making sure that they have excellent house manners, But they're going to doctor appointments, restaurants, movie theaters, the mall, everywhere you can possibly think of, our dogs are going with them. So they're getting that much more public access work. All we ask of our fosters is, of course, to follow our program and attend class once a week so we can monitor the progress. And we have one other program, too. If you're still not able to take a dog in your home and you live near our campus, on Saturday mornings, we have a puppy hugger class. And these are for our younger puppies. that are not yet going out in public. And we ask people of all walks of life to come in and play with puppies under the supervision of our life stage trainer. And this is such great experience for the people and the puppies. And, you know, if you have a disability of your own, but you're not thinking of getting a service dog, you just want to be part of something great we'll set up chairs for you. The puppies will come up to you and you get to pet them and throw their toys and give them little treats. And, uh, it's just a great, great Saturday
1: morning. Everybody loves it. That sounds like a great corporate event too. Absolutely. Um, that's giving me an idea for a team event. Um, I, I love the idea, um, about the stage five foster family program because, um, my first, Service dog that I did as a puppy raiser. She was eight weeks old when I got her, and I had her until she was 18 months old. And mm-hmm. I like have to tell you, my heart was broken to have yeah. to give her up. And um, I, my husband drove me to uh, the campus to drop her off, and I laid in the back of the truck on the floor, hugging her and crying my heart out. The entire way there, because I couldn't believe that I was gonna have to give her up.
0: yeah, it's very difficult, and so we we do things differently, and what also happens in in scenarios like the one you're describing is subconsciously, sometimes those dogs are sabotaged <laughs> in training. And they don't make it as service dogs. Um, I've been told only about 50% of those dogs actually go on with a full career um, because of different things that can take place that may negatively impact them as a service animal during that first 18 months.
1: Oh, I'm sure of that. And I would have happily sabotaged her um, <laughs> <laughs> if I thought there was a chance in heck that I could have kept her. Um, but I, I learned a valuable lesson, and um, I like what you said, too, about, you know, um, six weeks is, I think that's a, six to eight weeks is about a perfect length of time um, to mm-hmm. make a real uh, difference and and have that experience. And then if you, if you really loved what you were doing, having that opportunity all over again with uh, another dog. Because Absolutely. I know ap- and- after... Yeah, after I took Sienna back, I, my heart was broken, and so I actually immediately got another uh, service mm-hmm. dog in training.
0: And that's the best thing to do, fill that void as quickly as possible. You know, it, it, it makes it nice, too, since it's an eight-week uh, venture with us. If you have to go on vacation, you have something else scheduled that you have to miss a week or two, uh, then you can come back and pick up again a couple of weeks later with a new dog. So it's a much easier program than having full-time care of that dog for 12 to 18 months. And I had one of my foster families one time had fostered about 15 dogs for us. And she kept begging, begging, begging for a puppy. And I said, you know, we don't do that. She goes, oh, yes, please, please, please. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll let you try it. Well, she took home an eight-week-old puppy, and she was back in a couple of days. She said, oh, my gosh. She said, this is like having a real baby. She said, I can't take my eyes off that puppy for a minute, you know, unless the puppy's sleeping. That's the only time I can get anything done. I said, yeah, I told you. (laughs) (laughs) So we make it easier. And, uh, you know, it's much more enjoyable. And and what's really nice for our foster families, too, is they do get to follow the stories and pictures that we get back. We post on our Facebook page from the different recipients. And they get to see the dogs. And they get to see what life-changing things they have brought about to these recipients. And they know that they got to play a role in that. And it makes them feel so good that they were able to change that person's life through the time they spent with that dog as well.
1: I just love that idea. I think that's so wonderful about, um, the way the, really the way you've designed that. Um, so the dog's not even going into the foster family program till they're after they've gotten their canine good citizen. So, so smart on your part. Um, tell us about the fostering of a team. You mentioned that earlier and, um, And I would like to hear a little bit more about that. I may have some people who would be interested in doing that.
0: Well, terrific. Um, It's actually sponsoring of a team. Okay. And so if someone is interested in doing a sponsorship, it's $25,000. And what we do is send an update quarterly, picture of the puppy and uh, stories about where it is in its training processes and so forth all the way up until when we actually pair the dog and there's um, pictures then that come uh, final pictures that they receive of the dog team and a story about the dog team so that they know, you know, we don't, we don't go into vivid details about someone's medical history or anything like that. It's all protected, but um, whatever they allow us to say, Uh, then we give them uh, a story, a biography, a little bit about what happened to that individual and how the dog has changed their life now. And it's just always so rewarding. And uh, another thing that we are doing also, because the demand is so high for our dogs, we're going to be building a new campus here in Florida also. And so they can also contribute towards the campus uh, there will be uh, naming rights for buildings and things like that. So that's uh, forthcoming.
1: Okay. Well, that sounds very exciting as well. Um, I just, t- describe for me like the typical day of um, Carol Borden.
0: <laughs> well, uh, in my, I'm sure my staff would concur. for I work seven days a week. Uh, There are are no holidays, there are no days off, uh, because um, I'm very driven that if we let down on what we're accomplishing, someone will die. And so we move forward daily. I try to set the example uh, by being at my desk at 8 o'clock every morning when the staff comes in. Uh, What they don't realize is that our day actually started much earlier than that. Uh, because we're already taking do- care of dogs at 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, then, of course, the office starts at 8. Uh, wow, my desk, when I'm in town, is an evolving door. Of Even though I have excellent people that handle the different departments, we have our senior management levels, uh, but I still like to be very involved. My desk is actually right in the middle of the main room where you come in because I want to still know a little bit about everything going on. I never want to grow so large that I'm out of touch. And, and so um, my own dogs are with me, and uh, usually post My older dog sits and watches carefully over me at all times. If I get up and move to another room or another location, she is right on my heels. And my younger dog, um, when he thinks I've been working too long, starts bumping my arm so I can't type anymore and bringing me his ball, so I have to play ball with him. And if I ignore him, he steals things off of my desk. (laughs) (laughs) I pretty much uh, work through lunch. I have a wonderful husband that works with me, and uh, if he didn't stick a plate of food under my nose, I probably would go without. And then uh, I'm still at my desk at 5 o'clock when everyone leaves, and we finish up uh, somewhere around 11 o'clock
1: that night. Oh my goodness. Well, Um, you must, you are tireless. Well, it's, um, you know, some people have told me, I don't know if you're obsessed
0: or possessed. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's a little bit of both. But honestly, when you see the stories that come back from the people who came in my door that were so fragile, so broken, multiple suicide attempts before they came here, and to get those stories back, of how they are living their life now, the things they are doing, and they are so proud to share with you and thank you. And I don't know how many times I've heard them say, I would not be walking this earth
1: today if it wasn't for your guardian angels. Oh, that's, that is just, Makes me want to cry. And I'm on the page on your website at medicalservicedogs.org where I'm meeting some of the recipients of um, the dogs from your program. And I just, every one of those pictures just tells its own story. Um, you can just see the love between the dog and the um, individual. And so amazing. So amazing. I tell
0: people one of my favorite days is the first day of pairing. It's like Christmas morning because those people come in. They're so frightened. They're so anxious. They haven't slept in a couple of days, anticipating coming here. They're out of their safe zone. And we line up the chairs, and one by one, we bring a new dog out. And what an amazing moment. It's like the dogs go... Oh, I get it. This is what I've been training for all this time. This is my new person. And half the time they land in your lap and they're kissing your face and this is a dog who's never met this person before. And it's such an emotional moment because now that person, all the stress, all the anxiety, all the fear comes gushing out and disappears. The dog absorbs all of the negativity and they're hugging and they're crying. And it's just an amazing, amazing moment every time without fail.
1: Just so awesome. All right. So I just want to encourage everyone who's listening, get involved some way. Either be a foster family, go enjoy the puppy hugger um, program on the weekends, or, hey, even better, write a check. Write a big one and sponsor a team. Um, I think that sounds awesome. Uh, Carol, I would love to talk to you all day long, and I know I could, and I, I look forward to meeting you in person um, since you're practically in uh, my backyard. And um,
0: Absolutely. I- plan to come visit.
1: Yeah, I can't thank you enough for um, taking the time out of your schedule today and sharing with me and sharing with the listeners. And um, our listeners can always find us on Facebook at All My Children Wear Fur Coats, on Twitter at Kids in Fur Coats. And uh, thank you for listening. And thank you, Carol, again, for being with us. And please check out medicalservicedogs.org. And join us next week. We're here at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Mondays. Um, you know my favorite saying, until there are none, please adopt one. And until then, happy tales.
0: Thank you for joining you so us much, on Petwill Radio. Visit PetWillRadio.com for updates on shows, links to previous shows, inspirational stories, videos, and more. Until next time, take care.